Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Target is looking for a print and pattern designer for their home division in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Skidmore Studio is looking for a senior graphic designer in Detroit, Michigan. For remote work, the Wikimedia Foundation is looking for a UX designer. Bandcamp is looking for a user experience designer. Design Action Collective is looking for a lead web designer in Oakland, California, or remotely. And Development Seed is looking for a machine learning engineer in Washington, D.C., Lisbon, Portugal, or remotely. Companies, stop making excuses on your D&I efforts and post your job listings with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we will spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these positions. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much again for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry, and this episode is sponsored by Scissor. Scissor is a small but fruitful graphic design studio based in Ojai, California. We love our work, we sweat the details, and we like to think it shows. Check out their work at studioscissor.com. Also, we have a new review here from Apple Podcast, and I have to say I love this review. It's not a five-star review, but I love it anyway. I'll take it. Uh, the review is from Counting Blue Cars, and it's titled The Human Side of Design. Here it is. The show has a rich roll call of designers from all backgrounds. Some guests are more interesting than others, and how much you get out of each episode may depend on which type of design field you're most interested in. The podcast is more about the people and their journeys, and not so about the nitty-gritty of design. It's a good resource for people who are thinking about getting into some sort of design field, or just want to be inspired by other black designers. One thing that bugs me about this podcast is when the host asks the guest how they're doing during COVID. It's overdone and has frankly become annoying. Otherwise, there are some good human-focused questions on the show. So, first off, thank you, Counting Blue Cars, for that super honest review. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, Truth is, you know, like Counting Blue Cars said, for y'all that are listening, you know, some people will get more out of each episode depending on, you know, who the guest is. That's just kind of by design. Also, we've done this show for nearly eight years, and while, granted, we're not running out of potential guests at any given point in time... That does mean that there will be some variation. I try to put variation in there so, you know, it sort of shows the diversity of what people might perceive, you know, all of these folks, all black designers, as just some monolithic set of people. So that's by design. So that's cool. I will say this, though, about checking in with folks uh, via the pandemic. So the main reason I'm doing it uh, is because everyone is handling this differently 
because it's something that none of us have ever been through before. And I mean, here in the United States, uh, counting blue cars, I don't know if you're in the United States uh, as well, but, you know, to get political for a minute, we've kind of been set up to keep going about our day-to-day lives with no kind of support or acknowledgement of what's happening. Like, this doesn't have a mental, physical, and emotional impact on us from, you know, day-to-day to week by week, you know, sometimes hour by hour, you know. And now, I also don't know most of the people that I'm interviewing, so when I ask them kind of how they're doing, I mean, one thing it's doing is sort of breaking the ice a little bit. The second thing I'm doing is kind of level setting where our emotions are because we're both going through a similar traumatic time. And then, honestly, I'm asking because the pandemic is still here. Now, I certainly will keep in mind for future interviews to not ask it maybe as much. Um, The reality is that if I don't ask about it, sometimes they'll bring it up because of just what they're doing in this current time. So I may not even have to ask about it sometimes. I will say that the next few interviews we have for this month, I do ask, but I will keep that in mind kind of moving forward um, because I think we all have, (laughs) we've all got, you know, pandemic fatigue or, or whatever from all the news and everything around this. So I get it. I completely understand. Like there's so many podcasts I've listened to that have went kind of full tilt on the COVID route and it's really affected the tenor of the show. So I get it. Thank you again for that super honest review. Um, I also have to say, I agree 100% with you about what you said about Zach to the future and what you said about dating diaries. So spot on there. I appreciate that. All right. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Daryl Pinnock, a Georgia based brand designer and the creator of the podcast passion behind the arts. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Daryl Pinnock, and I'm a graphic designer, if you just want to go to a specific trade, but um, I basically design brands. Okay. Before we kind of get more into you designing brands, tell me, how are you kind of holding up during this pandemic? It's something I've been asking everyone that's been on the show this year. Well, honestly, I mean, just I'm a person that like something comes my way, I'm always adjusting. So I'm just trying to adjust, trying to navigate through each change, make taking it one day at a time, making the best of what I do have, which is like <laughs> spending tons of time with my family. So outside of that, man, I'm just trying to navigate it. We haven't been, thank God, we haven't been affected like as bad as some people. So, you know what I mean? Partially because of what I do for a living. So I'm just trying to adjust as the adjustment is needed. Yeah, I know you're here in, in Georgia, so you know how the <laughs> there hasn't really been like a real shelter in place order. It's kind of been more of a a shelter in place suggestion. <laughs> when it was hot, like when it was like in the deep of the quarantine, there was like a everything was shut down. That was like from what, like March, end of March, all the way till about May, end of May. Then everything started started opening back up. People started coming back outside. Like during that time, you were only coming outside to go to the grocery store. And that's like as in and out as possible. But now, of course, yeah, Georgia, now we're just like, if you want to, you do it. If you don't want to, it's just like you're just rolling with the punches. Nobody's not really jumping on you to kind of <laughs> shut anything down. Yeah, that's true. Let's talk about your work that you're doing. You work for uh, an agency called M&R Marketing. How did you get started there? 
I mean, it was nothing special. You know what I mean? The usual, like, trying to change jobs, looking for something, you know, new, great work atmosphere. And they contacted me after, like, me filling out application or whatever. To be honest, I don't even remember even filling out or applying to them. That just kind of gives you the idea of the amount of um, job requests that I was putting out there because I was in a toxic environment and I wanted out. So, um, But they did call me back and it was just pretty normal as any other like going to a job interview, but it ended up being like an epic work atmosphere, man. Like outside, like the two worlds kind of collide, me being able to design and working with a team of people that like a good work atmosphere. There's nothing toxic about it. Like we are all about just trying to get the work done, care about our customers and the owners care about their employees more than they care about their customers, which is always a good thing. So, I mean, I can't complain, but it was pretty normal. Like your usual going to a job, get interviewed and they call you until you got accepted. Okay. What are your work days looking like now with Working from home, or are you working from home? That's probably a better question. We were, we were, we went back in July, end of July. Oh, okay. So, so we went back to the agency at end of July, but we were working from home through the entire, you know, when everything got shut down. But um, my work days are as simple as a business card, designer, business card, edit, all the way up to a website, tons of different pages. So it's it's a full service agency. So they're doing. So we got strategy on one side. We got copywriting. So I'm, I'm in the design department. So I'm designing for everything that any type of company needs from a hospital to a brewery. I think you're the first person that I've had on the podcast this year that is actually back to working in an office with the really? pandemic. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> Mostly, I think everyone else I've interviewed is still working from home in some capacity. How is it in the office? Like, has, has there been different requirements or or yeah. precautions put up or anything? Yeah, it's definitely been different because we were close-knitted teams. So everybody's like in their silo now. And the funny thing is they were getting renovated like right before the, the, the pandemic. So we have more space now to like actually social distance. So it's good that we can do that, but it also sucks because when you're a part of a close team, you're used to interacting and it's just like very little interaction is happening now. But they had tons of different requirements, like you got to wear a mask, walking around and stuff like that. Got to clean down the area. Like once you're at your desk, you don't necessarily have to wear a mask. But once you're moving around, interacting with other folks, you got to wear a mask. If we got client meeting or just internal meetings, we got to wear a mask, the clients that come in have to wear a mask. Most of the clients don't come in. They were doing like a bunch of Zoom calls at the um, at the agency, which is cool with us. But yeah, it's a ton of different like stuff to navigate. They provided everything for us from the wipes all the way down to the sanitizer to the sprays. So they kind of provided everything we needed. It's just for us to kind of do our best. It's not perfect, as you can imagine. For me, I was kind of glad. It's kind of bittersweet to go back into the office. One, yeah, I'm home and in a safer home, but two, like everyone was home, if you know what I mean. I got kids. So everyone was home. So it was all mixed together, like home. Like there was no separation of nothing because they were doing schoolwork and it was just like, Daddy, I need you. Uh, <laughs> it's just like it was just like, oh I gotta take a break again. So it was just kinda kinda good to get the, the separation of life because like I have a home office, but 
it just wasn't working out. And I don't know why, because I've worked remote for a long time before this. But usually in the past, when I was working remote before like a pandemic, I was just working remote. I would work when everyone is asleep or before everyone, you know, before everyone wakes up. Now we were all up. Everyone was working, schoolwork, me trying to work. And it was just like it wasn't working. So I was kind of glad for the separation. (laughs) I can imagine, you know, I've been, you know, had people on the show and asking them how they navigate all this with families. And I can imagine, you know, I don't how many how many kids do you have? I got four kids. Woo. Ages. (laughs) My oldest is 12. I got a 10-year-old, a 9, and a 6. Oh, man. So it's all Zoom school, probably. Oh, my gosh. I know you were glad to get back to the office. (laughs) You know, it's not even like, I don't want to make it sound like they were driving me crazy, but it was just, I wanted to be around them. So I was distracted. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. Like, I'm not not saying you don't want to be around them, but like, as as you said earlier, your home, especially now with the pandemic, like, becomes all these other facilities now. Now it's a school and a gym and a restaurant and all these things. So it's hard to kind of get work or be in a work mode when it's also all this other stuff concurrently. True. And then on top of it, like, there are companies that are built to be remote. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are schools that are built to be remote. A lot of us, we were forced to go to remote. You know what I mean? Like the agency wasn't built to be a remote agency. We just happened to do a profession that we can do remote. So that was even a just in period. The kids that go, kids going to school, these teachers weren't like used to being remote. They're used to being a classroom. So we weren't the infrastructure and the, the systems weren't set up for remote. So we were literally learning how to be remote as different organizations. And at the same time, learning that everyone is home. It's not like kids are gone off to school and stuff like that. So it was just it was a legit adjustment for us, for sure. That part. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, designing brands, you know, through MNR marketing. Can you just kind of talk briefly about some types of projects that you're working on? Can't really say specific names, but like there's a real popular restaurant here in Georgia that um, we're working on. I'm doing a website for it. One of the things we're working with doing a food oriented stuff like you're hungry after time because they do like fried chicken and stuff like that. And all I'm doing is looking at pictures and stuff like that. But that's been cool. Just trying to figure out custom ways to not make it look like just a, a WordPress template. That's like one of our biggest things to like, how can we express the brand in this where it doesn't look like a template that we can make it look as custom as possible, like a custom because the coding, everything is custom. Like we're not pulling from anything else. So we want to make sure that design is looking the same way too. So that's one project I'm working on a restaurant. I just finished another website for an IT company. I got, uh, it's always cool when you get to work with tech because we do a lot of like doctors and lawyers and, you know, those stuff, they have the money, so they pay the bills. Those are some of our biggest clients, but the projects are not like the most exciting because they're usually like clean, a lot of white space. So when I got to work on this tech company, that was kind of cool. I got to use some gradients. I got to use, you know, <laughs> you know, I got to get a little bit more expressive in it. And the cool thing is that revisions for that was kind of like one, two, three, like there were literally no revisions internally. And by the time we got to the client, it was just like, oh, we love this. The revisions are as minor. As you know, it don't always go like that. Oh, so, no. <laughs> um, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So you mentioned in the office now there's all these different procedures and, and precautions that you all have to take. How does that affect the design process? Actually, that park is it doesn't really affect it that much because I'm at my desk and I could easily well call someone and we could talk it out. And we have like a chat system that we communicate through called teamwork. We use that and we call, we make the best of it. Like we do go to talk to each other. It's just like, it's different from when someone's like right there by you versus you got to take a few steps to get to them. But um, we still communicate. We still um, get feedback. We still like, you know, what you think. We still do all of that stuff. It's just not as frequent as we would now. Now it's getting a little bit more frequent. We've gotten a little bit used to where we are. Everyone is a little bit more comfortable. We're not as like terrified when we first got in office, like nobody wanted to talk to each other. So it's just like, you know, we're getting a little bit more comfortable now since we've been because we've been in office since July. So it's it's been a while. Um, So we're still we're still we're still making the best of communications because, you know, that's very important because there's so many moving parts. But once I get in front of my desk to start working, it's just like I, I put my headphones on. It's like back to normal. Like, I don't even remember that there's a pandemic. I was going to say, if you all haven't been documenting this and sharing it out with the design community at large, I would recommend doing that. Because like I said, there's a lot of folks I've talked to. Nobody is back in the office yet. They're still trying to. Well, I mean, they're working remotely, but it would be interesting to kind of hear about an agency that is back in office and how that might be working, because you're really not hearing that. And eventually that's what companies are going to end up returning to doing. True. I mean, we do do some stuff. Um, I know we got a blog and we kind of share, we have a newsletter, we kind of share what's going on. We share a lot through our Instagram, social media stuff, like where we are, what what we did today. But I definitely kind of, now that you mention it, I could kind of mention, that's one of the other things that we can always mention this. Like I could go to them and be like, how can we get more in depth to kind of give people a little bit more insight on what it's been like for us going back into the office? Because we're about to start a series, actually. We, we our first episode went out. So as an agency, we're going to start like a series, a video series. And the first episode went out called the Yellow Cheer. So we got some pretty cool yellow chairs because yellow is a big part of our branding. So it's going to call the, um, the Yellow Chair interview or something like that. So we're going to be sharing just getting to know the team and some of the stuff that we've been doing and all of that stuff. So that's maybe a potential to kind of maybe do an episode on that. But I'm definitely going to make a note of that, see if we can kind of go a little bit more detail. But we do do some stuff in terms of like sharing what we've been doing and stuff like that. Yeah, I went to a um, it was an advertising career fair a couple of weeks ago called Where Are All the Black People? And they had these sort of round robin marketing sessions after the panels and stuff. And yeah, it's pretty much everyone's like at home in their kitchen out in the yard. Like, and it's interesting because, you know, they're of course recruiting, but then at the same time, they're lamenting not being in the office and not being sure how they would go back to doing that. So just a, just that's a freebie. Just throwing that one out there. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. I mean, hey, you, you can never like, I thought we were, but now that I think that we may not go in as deep and like documenting is, is key to a lot of stuff. So, yeah. So talk to me about DP creates, which is, is your company. You started it in 2006, right? Yes. So I started in 2006. It evolved. Now I didn't, it wasn't DP creates when I first started it. 
some other name and you know how that goes like us as designers we're, we're constantly like changing stuff if it's not our logo it's our it's our name and we're just like going down this rabbit trail of like changing stuff so because i started i didn't start in graphic design i had to figure out a way how can i i've already went to school i went to school for a different profession so i fell in love with graphic design while i was um pursuing this career and i had to figure out a way how can i get my name my way out there i'm falling in love with graphic design so i had to put something out there i started to get clients that people started to ask me as i got better and i still wasn't that good so i had to figure out some kind of legal way to kind of get paid and stuff like that so that was in 2006 so that was my way to get my door into the world of graphic design because i wasn't doing that as a day job we do design, but a different career. So that's kind of how the company got started. It's pretty, it, it was like a high school nickname that I had that I started a company. It was called Skilla. And I started a, like in around that time. And as time grew on, like I kind of just went with my initials, DP Creates. And mm-hmm. that's what it's been since. Skilla. Very Jamaican. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> How has the company, aside from the name, how has the company changed over the years? Well, it's changed a ton. Like first I started as a designer and I started a lot of people wanted like shirts and stuff like that. And because initially I was doing like business cards, helping people start their business up. And I went to a period where people wanted like shirt designs and I was, was like, yo, maybe I should start making shirts. So at one point that was like an umbrella under the the company, like just making products. And I got just went down that for like two years, two or three years, just kind of making products and starting a little brand and and just really seeing the world of like products and learning a ton, failing a ton, you know, some small wins here and there, but definitely learning a ton. So I was just into the product stuff for a long time, about three years, just selling products, going from shows to shows and um, getting into the sneaker world, getting the streetwear world and just selling products. And then eventually I kind of just was like, you know, just came back to design, was tired of having inventory, was kind of like tired of trying to figure out how to get rid of inventory. And this was before like the whole, you know, on demand was yeah, around. the print on demand stuff. Yeah, 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 that was before all of that. So you, you, all you knew was what you saw, and everyone had inventory because the goal was to get into stores. You know what I mean? So after I was like, you know, this is like you never completely get rid of inventory. You know, it's usually like these best sellers, and those always sell out. And then you have these other stuff that you try, they don't sell, and you're just like, I mean. How much time can you really try to sell that? Because you know how it is. You need to have a new release. But so often, just kind of got moved on from that. I went back to just service. And it eventually kind of led me to getting into my podcast. Let's actually talk about the podcast since you did that brilliant segue. Tell me about your show and how you got that idea to start it. So I grew up in New York. So all this was going down in New York and it was cool trying to hustle in New York. Like that was what New York was about. That's what New York is about. So it was like nothing to like move around and try to move products. And then when I, once I moved to Georgia, 
it kind of got harder to move products and just the hustle mentality kind of, it wasn't here at the time. So I started getting back into clients and I was like, you know what? I want to get into the music, music industry in terms of like people that play instruments and stuff like that. So I was like, let me start a podcast trying to interview them. And that's what I did. I had to work my way up to it. I started doing like interviews by blog post till I got the courage to actually go start a podcast. <laughs> so I did probably like about 15 just Q&As by just sending them questions by blog post. And then eventually I started interviewing musicians to get them as clients. And it worked. It worked. Didn't work right away. Did a couple freebies. But I kind of was pretty selective in like, okay, I could get this person that has like, you know, 50,000 followers or more. I'll do them, do their logo for like free. And then they'll give me a shout out and then other musicians will come to me for logos. So I did that for a large musician based platform. They got a large following on Instagram. They probably up to like, I don't know, probably close to a million now. But at the time they were like six figures and I did, I did their logo and that kind of brought some clients my way. And I just kept on like interviewing musicians and it kind of evolved into something completely different. The minute I started having other designers on there, it was no longer about getting clients. It really turned in two things. I started having other people like designers on there and I started hearing from the listeners and because all this time I'm just it's for a selfish reason I'm just trying to make some money I'm trying to get clients and you know what I mean and at the time I'm like it's a smart it's a smart thing to do and I would recommend anyone if you could pull that off go for it because you will become an authority in a space that you're not even an authority in because like musicians were coming to me to be on the podcast and I wasn't like a musician per se. I mean, I'm, I love music, but yeah, I had designers on there. And that my first, the first person I had on there was, um, as a designer was Mike Jones, his creative self. That was the first person I had on there. And that kind of snowballed into like having a bunch of different designers to like so many different opportunities, speaking engagements, people I could put as a reference for, for jobs some really amazing friendships. So like this thing that started out as me just trying to get clients turned into like a whole different avenue for opportunities. And then people come into me and I'm hearing from people that actually listen to the podcast. And that was like weird, but awesome at the same time. Cause you know, you, you're just going in front of a mic and you're talking and not all the time you hear from people. So when you do hear from people, you're like, okay, you're doing something, it's making an impact. One, start taking it a little bit more seriously, put more pride in, just focus on the content a little bit more. It's doing something for people. And I started really focusing on the podcast being a brand and, and just the idea of your passion and the stories behind all of our passions and stuff like that. So it really turned into something that now is just... You know what I mean? It's just like this engine. Yeah. And how long have you been doing the show now? I started in 2016. Seriously, I would say like mid-2017. I started in 2016, but like 
between 2016 and mid 2017, I was just doing shows here and there. But like once I started hearing from people that were listening, once I started hearing from listeners, it really became more consistent in 2017, towards the end of 2017. Like I really started to like, okay, I need to focus on this because people are actually listening. So you're working full time at MNR. You have your design company, DP Creates. You're doing the podcast. I mean, aside from clearly the multiple streams of income, shout out to that. How do you balance everything? You know, especially because you are married with four kids. How do you balance all of that? I'm going to tell you, bro, I feel like the idea of work-life balance is not a real thing. Because at some point, something is going. You're gonna have to. Something's gonna have to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice something to do another thing. And for the most majority of the time, it was my sleep that sacrificed. I didn't give up my family time. I didn't give up. You know, obviously, I still got to work, and I, I was I was pushing out episodes like it was crazy. But my sleep, my sleep is what sacrificed the most. Nowadays, it's a little bit more balanced. I got everything in their little silo. I don't have to be pushing to do as much episodes as possible. I mean, because I know you were talking and you was like just talking about like having episodes back to back. I was doing like four days a week. I just didn't do it on Mondays because I had to get ready for the episode to come out. But like four days a week, I was doing like three episodes a day. (laughs) And I was like... (laughs) Wow. I've been doing this for almost eight years. I, no, no, that is a lot of talking. Yeah. And I was like, bro, you really got to cut that out. So once it started to get a little bit more of a standing, (laughs) I just was like, nah, I definitely don't do nothing like that. I would not recommend that. But sometimes, you know what I mean? Like we all go through this period when you're starting something out. The greatest resource you have is your time. And you put a lot more time in this thing. And, you know, as it grows, as you can, you have a little bit more freedom, you can pull back on your time a little. So I I feel like that kind of comes with the territory when you're starting out. So I didn't really sweat it too much, but I feel like I'm at, I'm at definitely a much more, a much better balance right now as far as like, I don't do as much episodes at all. I don't, I never do back to back episodes anymore. Yeah, that's madness. I mean, well, I mean, recording back to back Eh, it depends on when you're... So you uh, publish every week, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think if you get enough of a... What I try to do, at least, is I try to get enough of a catalog kind of saved up, mm-hmm. and then I'll take a break. Like, I won't interview someone for maybe three or four weeks and then get back into it, because I know that I've already kind of filled the queue out with more that are coming, so... Yeah, that, I mean, for the most part, and as you know, it don't always go like that, but for the most part, that's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's what I try to do to kind of f- get a few back to back episodes, then kind of take a little break and then do it, do that again, take a little break and yeah. and so on and so on. I remember reading this article one time, I think it was in Fortune or, or Entrepreneur or Inc. or one of those, but it was talking about how there's like five main factors you have to have to have a balanced life, which is work, mm-hmm. sleep, family, fitness or friends. And that if you want to do really big things, you can only pick three of those. So when you were talking about the no sleep, I was like, yeah, I've been there a couple of times. I totally understand that. Yeah. I mean, 
honestly, and it's one of the mo- most underappreciated things is sleep because we feel like we still can go and thanks to all different things that can keep our energy up. But I mean, if we, I would say to anyone, if you could avoid it, don't kill on your sleep because it's, it's till this day, it's still one of the most underappreciated things. It completely changes us when we sleep at least, at least seven hours. Now, if you sleep in, I mean, this is just Daryl. This is no, no, no studies <laughs> behind it or nothing like that. Uh-huh. If you, if you sleep in over eight hours and you trying to do something with your life, you're wasting time. I'm just okay. saying that's just Daryl. How many hours are you sleeping? Probably like seven or less. <laughs> <laughs> but I just feel like once you get the bare minimum, like so many people like want to do something. And and if you don't, if you're not trained, if you, you're good and you're good with where you are. But so I talked to so many different people and they're like, they want to do something. They want to build this. They want to build that. And like, I'll first ask them what they do with their time. And I'm like, when they tell me the time they go to bed and the time they wake up, we talking about like nine, ten hours. I'm like, what? That's two hours right there. I know you could appreciate this. What you can do with two hours. It's magical. So I just feel like if you want to do something, if you want to build something like, yes, get what's needed, which is eight hours. Beyond that, like I'll give you half an hour more, but it's time to get to work. Yeah. I get in probably a good solid like five to six every day now because of the pandemic. I'm getting about that much. And I only say that because of how I think it's probably just thrown off my general life schedule in general. You know, usually around this time I'd be working, I'd be traveling for work. Like none of that is happening now. So, yeah. So let's switch gears here a bit. I pick up on the Jamaican accent. Tell me about Jamaica. Tell me about growing up there tell you about growing up in Jamaica. It was great, man. It was, you know, now that I'm older, I appreciate the simpleness of life. And there were things that, because I was actually, I was actually born in Jamaica and I came to the States when I was like a preteen, but it was just simple, man. Like I never experienced feeling like I don't have anything. And you may say, you know, just because it's the islands, like I didn't really feel like I didn't have anything until when I came to America. How so? I mean, this is kind of like with all the stuff that's going on, it just kind of brought to light how the plight of a black man in America or a black person in America Because growing up in a Jamaica. I never experienced racism. I never seen none of that. Like everybody was just like, you see different cultures, you see different people and it's just like, whatever. So if you didn't get somewhere, it's just because you didn't do what you needed to do. Once you did what you were supposed to do, like life is cool. And also I was pretty young. I'm not sure. Like I can't say it's a test to what it's being an adult in Jamaica, but as a kid growing up, it was just simple life, man. I, most of the times before I got into church, I was at the, bre- uh, at the beach on Sundays. <laughs> like, I was just, you know what I mean? It was just simple. Like, yeah. I had everything I wanted. My my mom, con- the only thing that was the downers, my mom traveled a lot mm-hmm. for for work purposes. So she was outside of the country a lot. And that's kind of why the reason why we actually came to the, the, the U.S. after a period of time. She was just kind of tired of that that way of doing things. So she was just like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to make the move to America. Were you exposed to a lot of, like, design and everything growing up? Dude, I drew all the time, man. Like from Jamaica, I 
I was drawing all the time. I was drawing anyone who knew me from a kid, from a kid in Jamaica to a kid in, in America. One thing that was consistent, I was drawing and I was dancing all the time. That was just me always. So yeah, drawing was definitely a part of my life for some reason. And and I know you probably experienced this, but so many graphic designers they didn't even know graphic design exists growing up. I just knew that there's animators and there's architects. That's that's just kind of how I translated my creativity. It was either you're going to become like this illustrator, animator into the Disney world or something, have Warner Brothers or something like that, or you're going to do this other type of design, which is designing buildings. And kind of like that's where I saw my creativity. And that's what you ended up kind of going into, right? Yeah, At first. Kinda, yeah I, I went into architecture. I was I was stoked, man. So many people pulled strings for me to get into a pretty good architectural school and, and just kind of and I was pretty happy about that. And I enjoyed it. I felt like, OK, I love math. Um, I'm a math person. And I like to draw. Me too. I also am a math person. My degree yeah. is in math, actually. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. sweet. You don't meet and that many designers that like math, so that's good. No, they're, <laughs> true. No, they're like, no, nah, I'm good, Daryl. I'll pass. Nah, man. When I was in school, we would compete in math. Like, we would be like in class, just like being competitive. And as you know, like for those who don't know, like architecture, math is a is a very large part of architecture. It, it's it's a large percentage, more than I even thought. So, but yeah, man, I was going to school for architecture, pursuing it in the, the college that I went to. Eventually, like after a certain amount of credits, they find you a job in the industry. So that was pretty cool. I, I got two jobs in the industry. One, um, it wasn't a right fit. And by by like two weeks or three weeks later, I f- they found me another one. And I was working in the field as a, an engineering company doing plans for a sprinkler, fire protection sprinkler systems. I was going down that path, man. And some guy, this guy I knew, he introduced me to like, we were just shooting the breeze and he introduced me to web design. And I tell you, bro, I was distracted from architecture. <laughs> so it's not even like I didn't like it. I enjoyed being ar- do- going to architecture. I would enjoy doing blueprints. And I would never say that I stopped doing architecture because I didn't like it anymore. I wasn't like, I just got so distracted by this other type of design, all the colors that you get to use all the, you know what I mean? I was distracted. And not too long after that was in 2014, 2015, then I spent like a whole year just learning, learning, learning. Then eventually, once people heard that I was doing this, that's when I started the business, trying to create like a legal umbrella to to like start collecting money or whatever to to say I'm doing this professionally. But yeah, man, I just I just basically got distracted, and I've been distracted since by design. And it looks like one of your your latest projects is kind of a combination of those two kind of passions. Like I saw the YouTube videos with the van. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. That's like a thing that my wife wanted to do for a long time. And we are like, and we, we've done road trips, bro. Like we've driven to Canada from Georgia. We've driven to New Mexico. We've driven up and down the, the Northeast. Like it ain't nobody, like it ain't nothing. Like a 12 hour drive is just like, mm, okay, that's fine. That's cool. <laughs> so we was, instead of doing this in a regular vehicle 
let's try to build something. And yeah, so we kind of, so I, yes, I definitely got to tap into my architectural and building background in this van conversion and it's almost done and we're going to be hitting the road. We're doing some serious road trips, but yeah, that was kind of cool to kind of be able to tap back into that world. Nice. Nice. So what kind of keeps you motivated and inspired these days? Like what keeps you going? There's always something. Things that inspire me the most are people's stories, right? Those success stories, those stories of going through this, but I came out on this other end. My eyes and ears are always looking for those. So I listen to and read, do audiobooks, and just kind of taking stories. And I feel like stories, those nice quotes and stories, someone would say something in a story, and that kind of triggers me to create something from that quote. So those things, stories kind of inspire me in general. Watching a good movie has a great storyline. You know, and of course, sports. But those are the things that I draw inspiration from. Like, I feel like sometimes me right now, I don't lack inspiration. I lack time to create from my inspiration. But those are the things like stories, great stories, storylines, great movies, sports. Those are the things that inspire me to create. Have you had any mentors or anyone that has really helped you out along the way? I said, my mom, like that's that she's always believed in me no matter what. Like I could say, listen, even though these dudes get paid a lot, I could say I'm going to be a garbage man. And she would be like, once I heard what they get paid, I probably should have did that. The amount, of ben- <laughs> the amount of benefits they get. But like in the past, I would say, you know, if I would be a garbage man, my mom would she believe I'm going to be the best. Like she's always been my number one support no matter what. The first person outside of a mom first person. I have tons of people that believe in me now. The first person, um, I was going to a church. A mom moved. And I was like, as a kid, like, why are we moving? I got friends. This, I'm going to this place I've never heard of in my entire life. I was just, I made her life kind of sucky because of that, not that move. But, you know, I mean, she had a plan and, you know, it was the best thing that she ever did. I met this guy. He was the pastor of this church. His name is Clifford Thompson. And I was the first person that kind of seen this scrawny little kid and wanted, saw something in him and like just believed I could do anything. Gave me my first opportunity to be a leader. So I would say it kind of started snowballing from there. And there was this guy I worked with, that second job that they found, this, the college found, um, this guy, Kumar Mishra, I worked with. He was an engineer, still is an engineer. He was just one of, uh, you know what I mean? Like, and it, it's funny, like he was an Indian and I got really exposed to like the Indian background, Indian culture. And he just really was like another good support uh, another good person to kind of like have in my corner to have someone that's way older than me completely trust me that much to the point where he would leave me in his house you know what i mean oh wow you know what i mean and this and this is a work relationship as we know that doesn't happen work-wise that's not this is this is a he became more of like a a father figure to me you know, that was another person that kind of just kind of believed in me and always had my back. Even when I screwed up at the job, like he always had my back no matter what. And, it's, and you know, now that I got kids, my wife, they are always in my corner, always got my back. My kids, they see life so simple, you know. So when I'm all like 
just thinking too hard. I go chill with them. And it just kind of brings everything back to the simpleness of life. And I, I really appreciate them for that. But you know what I mean? Now, I, I mean, it's countless people from the current church that I go to or, you know, the different creative groups that I'm a part of. You know, just so many people that I draw support from that. But it wasn't always like that. There were times where you just like kind of, especially during that move to Georgia, I didn't really always have these different people, these different groups, silos. I had to go look for it. So, I mean, if anyone is going through that where they feel like they don't, can't find any support, anyone to kind of speak life into them, it's, there are times where you got to go find it. And I would, I would encourage everyone. That's the best thing I ever did was to go find people like me. And the sucky part about that is that you're putting yourself out there and you will, people will shun you or make you feel awkward for putting yourself out there or don't reciprocate the same feelings. Just gotta brush your, you just got to brush your shoulders off and just move on to the next person because it will happen. When you put yourself out there, that will happen. But don't let that stop you because that was one of the best things I ever did to go find people, like-minded people. What advice would you give to someone that they're listening to this episode they empathize with your story. They want to sort of follow in your footsteps. What's some good advice that you would give? I mean, the first thing I would say is like, don't, don't, don't be a victim. The worst thing you could ever do is like be a victim. And when I say that, it, the, the simplest way I can put that is just, we all know everything is not our fault. We, we come into these, this world, if it's because of race, if it's because of this, that, that. You got all these different things that you say, you know, puts you behind the eight ball but you just got to take responsibility and that simply means that if it means go finding people that like-minded people if it means starting a passion project and this is one of the things if you want to become a part of a community or find people the best thing you can do is give back to that community by by giving something to that community making yourself when i start Eventually, my podcast was my way to give back to the creative community. That was my way. And it ended up being easier way to grow in the community. When you come from that, that approach of giving back to the industry or whatever the case may be, I feel like giving distracts you from what you don't have. And, and I feel like though people, I mean, it's the easiest way to kind of just get you out of that funk is to give give back some way, shape or form. It don't have to be money. It could be your time. It could be your skill, whatever the case may be. But there's this weird thing about giving that once you start giving, you get so consumed by it, it distracts you from your lack or your situation in life. And you start seeing what you're feeding into and you want to see it grow. How are you using your design skills to help build a more equitable future? We're asking kind of everyone on the show this just to kind of get a sense of how they're looking at the year, how they're looking at what's transpired and thinking, how can I use my skills to really give back? I've been on the other end. I know what it's like to not look like I'm I'm not getting a fair chance. So my first way of doing that is making sure that I'm not I'm being a fear person. I'm being a person that is fear minded. I'm being a person that values each person. I'm trying to be as empathetic as I possibly can put myself in the next person's shoe. So that's my first 
thing I would say to anyone, make sure that you're not on the opposite end of trying to, you know, of trying to make it more equal or more fair. Make sure that you are not on the opposite end. And then the next thing is, you know, it goes back to what I was saying is to, is to give, of course, but build relationships, build through creativity, build relationships from people that don't look like you, don't do things the way you do things. Because one thing I've learned, and I learned this when I was working with that Indian guy, is that like we come from different backgrounds, different cultures, but we have the same struggles. We go through the same thing. Like you learn that we are different, yes, because of culture, but we ain't so different if that makes sense. We're not so different. So I would say just number one thing is make sure that you're going out of your way because I just don't believe, I don't believe in a pitchfork and fire, if that makes sense. I don't, I don't believe that does anything. I've made more of an impact on somebody by, by getting to know them than anything else. You know what I mean? And the next thing is the people that do look like you, once you feel like you've gotten to a a safe place, a better stature, do your best to help the help them up. And not everybody, you you can't help everyone. You know what I mean? You can't help everyone, but you just want to make sure that you can be a conduit for the people that feel like they're not being treated equally. You want to be that person that can say, okay, I got a little bit more status. I got a little bit more, you know what I mean? Clout or whatever the case may be. How can I see that person? They're making the right moves. How can I help that person out? You know what I mean? We all know everybody's not Everyone who tries for equality is not doing the, necess- the necessary things to even cherish that. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't get it, but we all know that there are people that are making it worse for themselves, for lack of a better term or whatever the case may be. But make sure you're a conduit for people. Make sure that you, on both sides, the people that are different from you and the people that are the same for you, because like, I feel like we all need each other. And I feel like that we are missing the entire point of we all need each other. There's we all need each other. And yes, I am. I am borderline partial more to a black person. I'm not even going to like lie about that. But I also like because I have such close bonds with people that are different races from me, like it just changes my perspective on everything. I have like deep friends that are different races. But at the same time, I am trying to look out for my people, but I kind of get to both sides. So I'm trying to more trying to bring it together. I'm hoping I answered your question. Yeah, no, you did. Absolutely. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, What kind of work would you like to be doing? Pretty much the same type of work. Definitely much more in, I think I, I may, it's funny. I may go back to like start doing products again. Now, you know what I mean? It's funny. But um Definitely, but just not as much and charging more. You know what I mean? So cut down on the amount of work that I do, that I spend more time on the work that I, I'm doing, put more time into the current work, valuable time, you know, because uh, eight, eight hours spread to 20 different things versus eight hours on one thing, it makes a difference. And definitely on the road with my family, some way, shape or form, you know what I mean? Definitely, that's a part of it. All right. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Daryl, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? 
pretty simple. D as in dog, P as in Peter, and the word creates. DP creates one word everywhere. Like you just Google it, DP creates, and that's me. And you can also check me out on my podcast, Passion Behind Art. And that's basically it. All right. Sounds good. Well, Daryl Panak, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you really, I mean, one, for talking about sort of the work that you're doing and how you're balancing all of it with, you know, a big family. I was really interested in the office part because I just know that companies are starting to drift that way. And so it's interesting to hear that you're already in that space. But I really like what you had to say about podcasting. And I want for people that are listening to this to kind of realize that that's one of the really key storytelling devices about podcasting. I know a lot of people may try to get into this just for money. And to be clear, you sort of got into just for money. Like you got in it because you were trying to get clients and it worked. It worked, but like you ended up now pivoting it to being able to tell people's stories. So like the fact that you've been able to take this medium and really turn it into something that's helped benefit your career, I think is really great. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Definitely, man. Um, I appreciate you for reaching out. I've noticed all that you guys are doing from afar and um, yeah, you're doing some good work, man. Big, big thanks to Daryl Pinnock, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find more about Daryl and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do lunch. Visit us at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better, by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, just like Counting Blue Cars did. I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.